Well, good morning. You know, the, I get the privilege of being in the front, which means I get to hear all that singing. If you never sat in the front, you should try it sometime. It sounds awesome, and uh, I, I enjoy that. By the way, who let all the sheep out? It's like, we got to shut those doors more often back there. <laughs> so anyway, I think it's time for us to go out and find the sheep that are loose running around. And, uh, but anyway, talking about the front, uh, those, you know, I've gone down and, uh, well, I graduated from the master's uh, college and spent a lot of time down at, uh, down in LA area and, and Jim and the boys are all down there uh, visiting Grace Community Church and they were showing me a picture of it and you want to see the, the funniest thing you've ever seen we go down there, I go down there about every other year because it's kind of expensive, but, and it's to a pastor's conference where there's almost 5,000 pastors, right? And, uh, and so we go down there, and it's the funniest thing ever because they open the doors to the sessions, and you would think that there was like millions of dollars in the front because the pastors are running and pushing and to get in the front row. And I'm amazed. I was always taught that you have to be early to be on time. I will stand, I'll go to the conference and I'll stand 45 minutes in line in the front. I'll be right where the doors open. And I still won't get to the front because people are running. It's the funniest thing to see pastors running in church. So... Anyway, I, I'll just, I, I'll have to show you a video, so you, I'm not exaggerating at all in any way. It was so bad that one of the main speakers was there walking in, and people came up with a camera to talk to him, and I, I witnessed this, and it was hilarious. He was, he was like, oh, you know, you want a picture with me? And they're like, no, we want you to take a picture with the church in the background. <laughs> and so he came up and he's like, I confess, I had a pride moment that God took care of at that point. But uh, so it's pretty amazing. We're talking about a series of what is a healthy church? What does that define? We define health in so many ways. We define health by numbers. We define health by activity. Uh, we define health in so many different things. But the question really is, is, how does the Bible define health? What does God expect? What does he want us to be doing? And what determines whether it's healthy or not? And so that's kind of the series that we've been going through through the summer. We'll be finishing up in, a, in the next few weeks. And we get to jump into another book study, and, and we'll be enjoying that. And I look forward to spending time uh, through the year in a series of dessert time and hang out and pick my brain and uh, talk and do Q&A time. And, and so if you have never done that or uh, don't usually go out on Sunday night, come and enjoy. Uh, have an early, uh, r- r- you know, take a, a break on Sunday, take a nap, uh, have an early dinner and then come for dessert at church on the 16th. And I look forward to just interacting and talking to you about stuff that we're working on and, and just a Q&A time. And it's a wonderful, wonderful time. We want to be healthy. And that's really the idea. We don't want to just be doing action for action's sake. 
Uh, a lot of times you can do that. Don't you hate that when you've been doing something thinking you're going you're gonna to get somewhere and then find out you've gone in the completely wrong direction? Uh, I just hate that. And you find out you have to go back. I usually, when I'm working at my house, I do that yeah, all the time. I lay out all the stuff. I try to you know, show my kids how to work right. And I end up going back to the hardware store, I think, five times. Uh, and I don't get done what I wanted to get done. We want to lay out, and we want to know where we're going and why we're going there and make sure we're not missing anything. And so that's what we want to do this morning. And so when we look at it, we're going to look at this. Um, it's not... Maybe that would help. There we go. Look at that. Okay, we want to look at growing through discipleship, all right? And so we're going to run through this and, uh, and spend some time looking at what is a disciple? What does God want? Why, why does he, that's a word that we hear in church a lot, discipleship. What does that really mean? And why is growing through discipleship create health? That's what you, we want to be able to answer. And I pray that the Lord would encourage you as we read his word together. So let's pray. Lord. I just thank you for our time together this morning. And I pray that as we spend time in your word, that you would lift up our spirits. Lord, we thank you for such a wonderful church family where we can be family, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, and yet we still can enjoy you. I pray that the Holy Spirit, Lord, would speak to us now, would help us not to see the ugliness of our lives and sin, but, Lord, to see the greatness of our Savior, the greatness of our Lord. Lord, how amazing you truly are and majestic and wonder is your name. Just your name is so amazing. You're the giver of life. Lord, I pray that you breathe, breathe life into us as we talk about discipleship. And, Lord, that we would see the importance of it and what it is and what it is not. And Lord, so speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, and as we look at verses 1 through, just as we look quickly through that, I want us to look at a few key things and notice something there as we begin to talk about what is discipleship, and then we're going to look at a bunch of other verses. But the context of what we want to look at is, what did Peter tell the church? Now, don't take for granted that this is Peter saying it. You know what I mean? This is Peter who always opened his mouth and put his foot in it, right? How many of you have done that before? Where somebody says, you know, I learned really quickly at college when somebody says, you know, ask a question, you don't want to be the first one to answer it, right? Brownie points sometimes aren't the best thing. Because I, when I did that, I thought, oh, I know what that is, and I'd answer it, and I'd put my foot in my mouth, and the, the professor would just smile because he, he knew that I was making a mistake. Sometimes we want to look good, and we say things. That was Peter. Peter was the one that, remember, walked on water with Jesus and then sunk? You know, what was so amazing was not that he sunk, was is that he even stopped looking at Jesus after he was walking on the water. I mean, can you imagine that? 
And not only that, but don't forget, he went back to the boat with Jesus on the water. So not only did he sink, and he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord restored him to doing something that none of us can do. That just blows my mind. But this is the same one who Peter denied Christ three times, right? He was told, you're going to do this. Oh, no, Lord, I'm going to fight for you, right? Does that sound like a lot of Christians? Oh, I would never do that, Lord. The preacher just said, warned us about something, and we go home. Oh, I'll never do that, and what do we do the very next day? We do that, right? And that's what Peter did. And yet, I think Peter learned a lot. And it's amazing that these words come from that same Peter, as we read. Let's just look at these first uh, few verses here. Listen to them intently. It says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. So we're laying aside something else. And in order to pick up something else, notice that. Lay aside to get something else. Verse 2, as newborn babes desire, that's a real strong word there, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as a living stone are being built up as a spiritual house. Being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. That's a beautiful verse. Therefore, to you who believe... He is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Were appointed to the word. Verse 9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. I don't know about you, but I like what I've become. Did you notice what caused us to become that? Christ. Did you notice something too in verse 2? We see, if, if you want to write this in your Bible, you can see that, there's, that we need to have the right attitude, appreciation, and aim, or appetite, and aim, right? He says, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. This whole time, Peter is describing this this act of discipleship within the body that's being built up. We are supposed to be, all of us are stones that are supposed to be being used to build up the body of Christ, which is amazing. 
And so as we come to this idea, we always usually, when we talk about discipleship, what do we do? We go right to Matthew chapter 28, and we talk about it. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, he gives us what our desires should be in order to produce discipleship, what our appetite should be, what our aim, what our goal should be. And that is the point of growing through discipleship, is to have the right target in mind so we hit it, and if we hit it, then we accomplish the right goals. And that's what Peter was discussing. And so this morning, I don't know, for some reason, uh, I got the wrong button. There we go. New machine work. Yeah, it's like I'm used to the old one. All right, so what is discipleship? What is discipling in the church? What is he saying? Basically this, biblical discipling or biblical discipleship is intentional and deliberate. Discipleship isn't an announcement and say, hey, by the way, we're doing this thing at church, come. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is, oh, by the way, we have a barbecue, you'll want to come, and we might talk about the Lord. That's not discipleship. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's community within the body of Christ. That's wonderful. I love barbecue. We could always do more barbecue. But that's not discipleship. We can't call it discipleship. Uh, Game nights. I love game nights. It's fun. I love to see who's competitive and who's not. And I don't like losing either. I try to hold it back a little bit, but uh, I try not to get too mean But I love it. It's great. But that's not discipleship. Sometimes there's repentance that needs to be taken place. But biblical discipleship is intentional and deliberate. Take a look now at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So who's the authority? Jesus is, right? So, oh, by the way, now I'm going to give you a command. Now that you understand that whether you're in heaven or whether you're on earth, I am the authority. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and create a program and play with one another. Right? No. I want you to invite people and wait for them to come. I want you to play a lot, you know, and, but I don't dislike, well, actually, the older I've gotten, the more I've disliked loud music, but I used to make fun of everybody else that complained about loud music. Now I don't. So I, I've reached that happy medium age, I guess. <laughs> but here's the thing. Oh, do we just create the loudest music we can and they come? No, that's not his commandment. Therefore, verse 19, Go. Because I am the authority, I'm in charge, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, go make what? Snowman? Disciples. Go make musicians. Now, I, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I remember when I first started in ministry, I had to work with uh, a musician. He had a double major uh, and he has a, a two master's degrees from the University of Washington in music. He used to lead the pep band at all the Washington games. And because of that, I got to go down on the field. 
uh, with all the, the guys, and I got to meet players, and I got to play football on the University of Washington's field was not a good thing. That's where I broke my ribs. So, <laughs> but here's the thing, is he, str- he was having a hard time. He wouldn't let anybody, we want, I said, hey, let's, let's have a youth worship team. He's like, well, none of them are good enough. They can't play with me. That's what he said. And I had to sit there and look. And I said, you, if you are going to have people in the church learn to play worship and be a part of a worship team, you have to be intentional in training them. And I had to take, it took me about a year to help him realize that he had to start training people if he wanted to have people to play with skill. It just didn't happen overnight. It had to be intentional. And, he, and by the time that God took me away from that church and moved me to California, we had so many kids playing skillfully, not only in church, but all over the place. Now in other churches. It's, it was intentional. He, God said we had to be intentional. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's, that's so people have to come to the Lord. He said, go out and don't just steal from other churches. You go make other believers. And then baptize them. That means identify them with your group, that they are who they are, that they're being obedient. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've given you. So train them in everything that I taught you. Teach them. It's intentional. It's deliberate. Hebrews 10.24, right? Part of that great let us passage. It's the salad passage of the Bible because every verse starts with let us, let us, let us, let us. And uh, I don't like lettuce, but, you know, they don't have any cilantro in the Bible, but that's okay. So let us spur on one another, right? Spur on, consider how we might spur on one another. Consider is intentional. It's deliberate. Consider. It means to think about, to contemplate how we might build up one another. When was the last time you left church and thought, you know what, I really need to work on how I'm going to build up and be a part of helping build up the body of Christ. But that's what this command is saying. It's deliberate. It's not, it's not you have a choice. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's God's command. It's deliberate. It's intentional. The other thing is, is that biblical discipling is relational. So we got to say, I am going to go look how I might build up another person, how I might encourage them, how I might teach them, how I might keep them from making mistakes, all of the above. See, discipleship isn't just teaching theology to somebody. It's helping everybody. It's being deliberate in the family of God together, and it's relational. It's actually getting together with others to build up the body of Christ. We have to be a part of building up one another. Do you know all the passages that say one another in the New Testament? There's a lot of them. There used to be 72. I found more. There's more than where God commands us to go and be together. But what is the one thing we don't do at church? Go and live together. Be together. You know, that's why I move so close to everybody else. It's great. 
we have this, we call it, I'm starting to call it the FBC triangle. <laughs> so be careful, you might get stuck if you come in there. <laughs> so we'll gather, you know, if you, we're getting set up at the house. So if you start swinging by the house, we'll start holding you there. And so, yeah, because I love being relational. By the way, when you're relational, how do we know how to help one another? If you're not spending time together in a relational way, you'll never know. That's why barbecues are a part of a discipleship thing. They are not discipleship only. But when I spend time with somebody, I know how to pray for them. I know what their struggles are. I know what they're hurting. I know how I can bless them. Right? What do we do? We, do, we, tend, to, we, we tend to stay off at a distance. And that hurts you. That hurts the body of Christ. When we say growing the church through discipleship, we have to be intentional, deliberate, and we have to be uh, relational. You know, Jesus said, come and follow me. Come, and then he said, come and what? Remain with me. Train with me. Spend time with me. Live with me. Everything he did was relational. When he, when he witnessed to the woman at the well, he says, you want water? Well, I have water that you'll never thirst again. She's like, I want that water. Right? Cultivated a great thing right there. Saw her need, gave her what they, and instead of just giving her the water, said, I have something that you really need. I have Christ. It's intentional. It's relational. But also, this is one we like to use a lot, but let's define it. Biblical discipling is loving. Now let me define it. Remember the verses that we read this morning? In uh, 1 John 3.16, you ever looked at all the 3.16s in the Bible? They're kind of fun and see how they match up. But 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. When was the last time we laid down our life for our brothers? And he wasn't talking just dying for somebody. That's what Jesus did for us. But what do we mean? What does that mean to lay down our life? Have you ever put your desires aside to go meet somebody else's desire? That's loving. That's what Philippians 2 is all about. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though being in the form of God, did not think it a quality, you know, to be sit on the throne and sit there and just ignore us. He saw all of our need and he came and he sacrificed himself to meet our need even while we were yet sinners. Philippians 2. And the idea is, is biblical discipling is loving Discipleship is loving, and that means not looking for the best for me, but for the best for others. Real discipleship begins to grow the church when we're loving, when we're looking at how can I meet what's best for others in the church. But what do we do? Many times we go to church looking for what's best for me. What programs do they have that are going to best meet my needs? Not what can I do to meet somebody else's need? Now think about this. If that's every single one of ours attitude and mindset is to meet other people's needs, how many needs are going to get met in the church? 
you'll have more than just one person meeting your need. You'll have an entire church at your disposal. If everybody is looking how they might love one another, that's gospel thinking. Thinking the way that Jesus thought about us. That's why we spent so much time talking about the importance of the gospel. Biblical discipling is loving, and if we're truly loving, we will be discipling intentionally, relationally, and we will help one another. Biblical discipling involves training in God's Word. You remember in 1 Peter when we said, 1 Peter 2, it says that you desire the pure milk of the Word. The only training, the only instruction, the only thing that is pure that we have is God's Word. Biblical discipling involves training in God's Word. We have to have that. We can't just leave a, a, you know, a get-together, uh, what we call fellowship. We can't just have a get-together and say that that's, every, that's discipleship. No, that may be a part of it. I would encourage everyone should be a part of a small group of believers where you're studying God's word together and maybe you come to the Bible study and somebody's struggling and you intend, instead of doing your Bible study, you end up having a prayer meeting and just spending time with somebody who's hurting. That's discipleship. Today, the world calls that... Um, oh, I just lost the word. You know you hate that when the word just flies right out of your head and it's on the tip of your tongue? Uh, you know those meetings they get to... Oh, support groups. There we go. Support groups. I have to define it in my head and it comes back. So, <laughs> so here's the thing. We, everybody's like, oh, how many support groups do you have? And all this kind of Discipleship is God's natural way to help one another. It's where counseling happens. It's where... It's where encouragement happens. It's where helping one another, caring one another. How to, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, you who are spiritual, carry someone who's falling, who's struggling. Well, where is that going to take place? It's not going to take place on Sunday morning when we're singing songs and hearing a preacher preach at you. That's not where it's going to happen. It's going to happen during the week. If you're a part of a group of believers who are who are nurturing and caring and and helping one another and and studying the Word together. Why do we need the Word? It's because it's the guideline that keeps us going in the right direction. So we don't lose out. In fact, listen to this. 2 Timothy 3.16, or no, 3.16, by the way. It says, all Scripture. Does that mean part of the Scripture? A fraction of the Scripture? Is every part of Scripture important? It says, all scripture is breathed out by who? God. And it is profitable for teaching. So is some of scripture profitable or is all of scripture profitable? How about the lineages? How about all that stuff in Leviticus? You know what? If, when I was in Israel and I read Leviticus and watched the, everything going on in uh, with all the Jewish stuff, and I took Jewish thought and practice. I had my own rabbi, and he made us go spend time with families. It's important. All of those things in Leviticus actually are an aspect of Christ. Did you know that? It's amazing. Do you know, you can take every single feast 
that's commanded in the Bible, and it is a portion of the gospel. So go study it. Go look at it. It's amazing. Every aspect of those feasts are a portion of the gospel. All scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Biblical discipling involves training in God's word. This leads us to the second thing there, and that there's nine reasons to disciple in the context of the local church. Why is it so important for the church to be about making disciples, to go make disciples, training them in everything that I've commanded you? Because the church is called to be pure, and when we disciple in Titus chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, it tells us that the whole goal is to match our life to God's holiness, to purify ourselves. Discipleship in the church is where we do that. That's the whole point. The problem is, is many times in church, we make church about our desires to the point where we match up to the things of the world, to where the church looks more like the world than it looks like the, the holiness of God. Now, does that mean we become legalistic? No, we don't perform a bunch of duties so that way we feel good about ourselves. We just keep focusing on how amazing and great God is and we just love him more and more. We focus on his holiness and we do things out of love, not out of constraint. Why should we disciple in the church? Because you do not have every spiritual gift. Do you understand that? You can't be a loner. You can't go off and just do whatever you want and be blessed and be nurtured and be, you need the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, we need each other. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we can't just say that, hey, I have everything I need. I don't need the church. We need to be discipled together. God did not create, it's not normal. He Right? He adopted us into the, the entity of one. He adopted us into the family of God. It was always meant to be together, growing together. We all have different abilities, different gifts that can support and help one another. And so whenever you go off and decide to just, I'm going to do whatever I want, and you're not going to be in the context and growing together, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You have, we have different gifts and abilities to help one another, to support one another, to make things available. To, when we know that somebody's in need, we can go help. Not just with money, but with real things. It is awesome. When, when the community starts seeing a church family really discipling and growing together, they're jealous. Because nobody has anything that's, nobody's in need of anything. Now, we want a lot of things. <laughs> that's a different story. Why is it important? Because a church body provides better accountability. 
Hey, here's the thing. When you look at Ephesians 2 in verse 21, it says, In whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Here's the thing. When we grow together, our lives are entangled. It creates a web. People don't fall through the cracks. That's why we have to be about discipleship. Intentionally, relationally, spending time with one another. It creates a great support group. That it's not like, have you ever seen, you know, I've been looking at fencing lately, you know, because I have, now I have animals and I want to protect them from other animals. And it would be crazy for me to just, you know, put up a few lines of string and call it good, right? Now, every raccoon in the neighborhood would be in there eating my ducks, right? And I don't want Lisa on me, man. (laughs) She gave me those ducks, man. (laughs) I love them. They're so fun. And they're quiet. Ducks are not supposed to be quiet. But here's the thing. What do I do? No, I'm looking for, you know, half inch, quarter inch squared, you know, galvanized metal that I can screw to railroad ties so the raccoons can't dig, climb, get in. Right? That's the thing. When we come together as a church, discipleship is so important in the church because it creates a network that sieves out problems and strains us and holds us up. So that way, not only does it keep the wolves out and from hurting us, but it keeps us from falling through the cracks and getting hurt as well. That web of relationships... In the church, guys, I cannot stress how important it is. Because, here's the last one here on this page, is because God is more glorified when the body grows towards him together. Emphasis, growing towards him. When we are discipling and we're growing towards God and not towards programs, here's the thing, I'm not against programs. It's just that we do programs for the wrong reasons so much. Discipleship is not a program. It's intentional, it's relational, it's loving, it's sacrificial. Programs, by the way, are not sacrificial. They're easy. Just go do this and we call it good. There's no relation in it. I love Awana. We've started Awana in every church we've been in. We've either worked in Awana or started Awana. I love Awana. Awana is great, but here's the problem with Awana. It can become just a thing you do to babysit kids, right? The important thing about Awana is training them in God's word and getting down on your hands and knees with those kids and finding out what they need, not only that night, but during the week. Are you calling them? Are you praying for them? Are you? Awana doesn't work without discipleship. See, Awana is not discipleship. But if you disciple, then Awana works has to be intentional, relational, loving. So now, because I knew I was going to run out of time, I give you it all. <laughs> Look at that. Because d- discipling is the primary way to show love for Christ and his church. We love because he first loved us. Um, because church-based discipling is assumed in the whole New Testament... It's always saying, build up one another, help one another, support one another, be with one another. There's never a time in the New Testament that God says don't, that you're not supposed to be doing something together. 
That's because God intended for us to go make disciples. Because church-based discipling displays unity in the midst of diversity. I, of all, I, you've heard me say it so many times. The, the community around us should be like, man, I can't believe how many people go to that church and are so different and they, they really shouldn't like each other, but they love each other. I don't get it. It should, and, it, and we could say, it's because we love Christ more than we love ourselves. I don't get why they all meet together. It should be God's true love and peace and unity on display. Because the church is the most healthy when it, as a whole, as a whole, culture is in the culture of discipling. When we build up a culture of discipling within the church. Here's the, the oh, I went backwards again. Here's the thing that I want you to really get. Here's the importance to remember. It is a process, not a program. It is a process. Why else would God say that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it till the day of Christ? Our salvation is a process. When God saved us, he didn't just, you know, I'm looking at, at a lot of people that probably wish they had glorified bodies right now. Me being one. After stacking wood yesterday, my back hates me. But uh, I, I, I rested every 15 to 20 minutes and let my son's back do the rest of the work. And I've never seen Kelsey stack so much firewood. <laughs> so so I, we, that's all right. I went out and bought her some new boots so she could go stack firewood. <laughs> so here's the thing. It's a process. God is changing the church. He's changing us. We have to be a part of the process. Go make. You see the emphasis on go make? It's a process. It isn't go, it's done. Go see people get saved and it's done. Go make. It's, and, and it's a process, right? If all you do is watch cooking shows, what's going to happen? Well, you'll develop an appetite and then starve to death because you don't eat anything. You have to go make the food. It's not enough to go watch the food being made. You've got to go actually make it so you can enjoy it. What good of it is to know how to make tri-tip and never make it? I love tri-tip. You've got to make tri-tip, and you've got to cook it. And don't overcook it. And you've got to slice it up nice and thin, and you've got to enjoy it. You've got to savor it. But if all I do is watch it on TV, what good is that? If all you do is come to church and listen to a message and a pastor harp on you and, and, and all you do is, 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 is sing a few songs and go home, you're going to be the most pitied. It's important. It's a process. Go make. Here's the thing. Are you being discipled? Are you discipling others? Do you know you can be discipled at the same time you're discipling others? Remember, it's not about how much theology or Bible knowledge you have. It's about being intentional, relational, and using God's word together. It's a process. Are you in an intentional and deliberate relationship that sacrificially loves by looking out for the best of others by focusing together on God's word? If you're not, I encourage you to get in one. 
you're going to see more and more groups pop up. Get involved, whether it's Pastor Ralph's Bible study, whether it's a small group at somebody's house. Get involved together. And the, watch the church body grow in health. Not just in numbers, but in health. And guess when your body is healthy, not numbers, but your body is healthy, guess what it can do? More activity. And when, you do more, when your body is healthy and it can do more activity, guess what happens? More accomplished. Yeah. Discipling is important. It is important. Don't underestimate the importance of being discipled and being a discipler, working with other people, being intentional, relational, in other people's lives, around God's word. So that way, we need God's word to keep us going in the right direction. So we don't end up completely in left field when the ball has hit the right field, right? <laughs> I used to joke about the Mariners like that. Now I'm trying to root for them, but... <laughs> Let's, will you pick up the challenge to go make, to go tell people about Christ, to get involved in discipleship? So we then can have the health in order to create the right activities to produce the right ministries that build up the body of Christ. Will you help me? Will you be available for the master to be used by Christ? To help the church be healthy? That's the question. Lord, thank you so much for our time together. I just thank you for your word and how it gives us information. It gives us wisdom. How to use this knowledge correctly. Lord, I pray that you will impact our ears, our hearts, our minds. Help us to listen intently to your word. To be doers of the word and not just hearers only. So that way we're not tossed to and fro by everything going on around us, that we would be so driven by everything that we are feeling swamped and just, Lord, over just hurting. May we not be a hurting church, but a healthy church. As things pop up, as problems pop up, that we'll be healthy in order to be active enough to take care of and to move past them. The problem so that way we can see more people come to know you and added to the church. May we be like the New Testament church where people are being added to the church daily. Oh, Lord, may that be our desire. Lord, maybe someone here doesn't know you. They don't, they've not given their life to you. Lord, they, they don't realize that you, were the, you are the perfect lamb who has taken away the sin of the world by dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, our sin has caused us to be separated for eternity in hell. Lord, we're going to go to hell if we don't have Christ. And Lord, you bridge the gap of what we need. And you did that through Christ paying for our sin. A holy God who would die for his creation. Lord, thank you for doing that. Lord, I pray that if no one has given their life to you and said, Lord... I, I need to live for you, not for me. I need the cross. I need Christ. I need you to save me. I pray, Lord, that they would cry out to you, to call upon your name, and by your name say, Lord, I need you to save me.
and realize that it was because of your work on the cross that has paid for their sin to reunite them and give them peace with you. And I pray, Lord, they would do that this morning as we sing and as we pray. And the rest of us, Lord, be committed to discipleship, to grow the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.